Hope is based on data of a verifiable change process that families can engage in. And that's based on best practices and lived experience that we bring as a team. So we're not asking people to wishfully think that their loved one will get better. We're asking them to engage in a process that's verifiable where they can really start to hook into a hope that their loved one will get better. Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the Human Condition. I'm your host, Dr. James Flowers. Thank you for joining us. And today I'm joined by two really special guests who are really wonderful friends and colleagues of mine, Doug and Neely Lyons from Clear Consulting. Welcome, Doug and Neely. Nice to be here. Thank you, guys. How's everything in Mississippi today? Cloudy and cool. It's a rare, rare occasion. You know, last week it was 85 and sunny and I thought spring has arrived and now here we are. Tonight it's supposed to be 34 degrees or something, which is just crazy. So how have you guys been? Oh, you know, we are working really hard. It's been a long two years of COVID. All families have been affected by COVID and have asked for help. And that's a really great thing. So while we've been busy, we've been honored to be a part of their process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talking about COVID, it has been, you're right, Neely, so many people, obviously everyone in the world was affected by COVID, but in our particular industry, you guys, sometimes when I'm talking to Doug or he's in Houston visiting and I'll say, how have things been since COVID? We both say the same thing. And that is the world just lit up with the need for exactly what Clear Consulting does. And I want to learn a little bit, want the audience to learn a little bit more about Clear Consulting, but I really want to read both of your bios real quick because I'm so proud to work with you guys and collaborate. And I want our listeners to know a little bit more about you. So bear with me. Doug Lyons is the co founder of Clear Consulting. Clear Consulting works with families of means and prominence that confluence of, and a confluence of wealth, addiction, and mental health concerns. Prior to founding Clear, Doug spent the last 15 years with the Hazelden Foundation, finishing his career as the Director of Clinical Services in Oregon. In an earlier role, he served as the Evaluation Director, conducting and supervising over 2,400 evaluations for physicians, lawyers, and other high-profile public figures. Doug is a highly sought-after lecturer, speaker, and having presented to the Family Firm Institute in Europe and the United States, as well as the Northwest Institute of Addiction Studies. 
the Dallas-Fort Worth Behavioral Health Symposium, which, by the way, is coming up very quickly, the Access Core Conferences, the Mississippi Heroin and Opioid Summit, and the Hazelden Foundation's Continuing Education Programs, just to name a few. And Doug, that doesn't even do you justice. You're one of the leaders and thought leaders in this industry, and thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you, James. Yeah, absolutely. I want to read a little bit about Neely Lyons. Neely's work includes serving as an executive at the highest levels in all three branches of state government, including when she made history at the age of 25 to become the youngest ever elected Mississippi state senator. That is so cool. (laughs) Congrats. Her Senate policy initiatives focused on the convergence of public health and public safety issues such as drug control, mental health, addiction, domestic violence, and child protective services policies. In her legal practice, Neely represented behavioral health and treatment providers, as well as impaired licensees seeking to reestablish their practices and relationships with their licensing boards. While achieving professional success, Neely's family was touched by addiction and mental health issues as well. Her unique 360-degree perspective, political life, professional engagement, and personal experiences complements the collective depth of CLEAR Consulting's team. She joined CLEAR in 2018. Neely is a certified ARISE interventionist and IRI certified recovery specialist. In addition to helping families recover, Neely works with executive management teams and law firms to bring addiction, mental health, and intervention resources to their employees. Neely strategizes with executive teams to create return to work arrangements that reflect best practices in recovery in general. Neely is a writer a national speaker who volunteers with several recovery community organizations, including Recovery Housing Operators Association of Mississippi and the Mississippi Opioid and Heroin Summit. She received the 2021 Champion in Recovery Award and the Mississippi Business Journal's 2017 Healthcare Hero Award for her volunteer work in support of recovery organizations. Wow, Neely. (laughs) Thank you so much for reading all of that. And I appreciate that. What I do is such a compliment to the work of Clear Consulting. And it's an honor to be a part of the team. Yeah, absolutely. I've had the pleasure of working with both of you for several years now. And I really want our audience to understand and hear more about Clear. So, Doug, could you talk a little bit about how you came into really, we know how Neely came into this world of addiction. How did you come into this world and really come up with the idea of Clear Consulting? Well, thanks. It's a good question, James, and a good place to start. Clear Consulting was really the brainchild of Sam Dresser and myself. We had both spent about 15 or 16 years at the Hazelden Foundation and were ready to try something new. And I had a, an idea that perhaps maybe we could fill what I believe was a need in the market. That was to work with people of means of prominence who came from families not dissimilar to mine, where there was a lot of wealth, a lot of addiction, a lot of dysfunction. And at least from my viewpoint, there was a tremendous lack of understanding about how to work with those folks. They're not monolithic by any means. However, there are certain skill sets and I believe some best practices that you can bring to bear working with 
folks that have significant means, especially intergenerational wealth. There are just some different competencies. And so Sam and I had a conversation about that many years ago over lunch, and we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, working on a project for Hazelden. And ultimately, that conversation led to what is now Clear Consulting. And, and we frankly didn't know if this thing would work or not. We thought, let's give it a shot. And we were fortunate enough to get a very influential family. And the case went quite well. It was a young woman who had had many treatments and who finally established long-term sobriety. And people began to ask him and her mother, how did that happen? And they began to talk about us. And that was almost 14 years ago. And wow. in that time, we have added staff over the years. And you know most of our team, Amy Prouty, Eve Ruff, obviously Neely has joined us, Sam Dresser, Dr. Glenn Brasington in Oregon is a PhD who works with us. Leah Randy is a KDAC out of Malibu, California, that has worked with us for a lot of years, providing silver companionship and other services. So we have grown, but we've still stayed essentially a boutique firm. And people often ask me, why don't I build this thing out? Why don't Sam and I expand it? And frankly, I feel like quality control is everything. And in order to be as nuanced as we are and as high touch as we are, we have to stay small. So I hope that begins to answer your question a little bit. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you on the boutique part of what you're saying and staying small and having quality control. You know, you and Sam are the faces really of Clear Consulting and the founders, the co-founders of Clear Consulting. And when we all start growing, you know, people ask me the same thing. It's like, are you going to grow? Can you put an office in Malibu or in Atlanta? And it's like, you know, I really want to keep quality control small yeah. and I want it to be priority and make sure that whatever I'm doing is overseeing patient care and making sure that families are taken well care of. And I know that's your philosophy as well. You know, I know the average length of stay, if we can call it that with clear is about 18 to 24 months. Can you talk a little bit about what families experience during their time with you guys? Sure, I'll start. I'm going to pitch it to Neely in just a second. But yeah. essentially what we do is we try to build a superstructure, if you will, essentially a strategic plan around this family system. We do a deep dive into their history, not only the person of concern's history, but also the family's history in terms of what they have attempted to do with respect to this individual or individuals sometimes in order to help them. Once we have a really solid understanding of what that looks like, we can begin to map out solutions. And those Typically, there's a sequential logical process, uh, understanding the case, getting in front of these decision makers, ultimately determining who our client is. That's right. always an interesting process. Once we've established who the client is and we've contracted, two of us typically come into town and we begin to build out a plan. And initially, it's understanding the severity, the acuity, and the complexity of the case, then understanding what needs to happen next. So if this person needs care, where is probably the best resource for them. Right. If that person has been transferred to care, how do we stay connected with the family system or the business system or the family office so that we can be effective in terms of supporting the treatment center? Flowers, for instance, when we've done this most recently on a case that you and I worked on. And so we become a liaison between our payer, our client, and your providers. And that's invaluable because that's where the ball gets dropped so often. I saw that over the years at Hazelden, people would come into treatment and there was a black box. Right. And neither the families nor an interventionist could see into that box because often people wouldn't sign releases. Absolutely. So we work very diligently to make sure that we keep releases open. And one of the beautiful things about working with Flowers is you work so hard on your end 
to help clients understand the, the importance of that. Sure. So once we have that transparency built, then we can monitor and marshal this plan over time. And we work with the families or the family businesses on the backside while you're doing your clinical work. And that's what leads to long-term success. Neely is an expert at working with these families. And frankly, the work that she and Eve and Amy do, yeah. let's just face it, I'm not as good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> better than I am and they're better than I ever will be. And, and Sam and I are lucky to have all these great folks with us. So Neely, would you like to talk a little bit about what you do with families? Yeah. Sure. Well, as I listened to Doug, one of the things that I was thinking about was how many families come in and they're fairly frustrated. They're tired and they are looking for hope. They're trying to figure out what's going to work this time and they're skeptical. And so, you know, I think we have to listen primarily. That's our job is to be able to listen to their story. That story is unique to them. And every family story, there are things that have gone well and things that have not gone well. And so I just really have to honor families for being brave and courageous enough to ask for help one more time. And oftentimes the affluent families that you guys work with, it is not easy to ask for help. Because the people with whom you work are traditionally problem solvers and are successful because they're able to navigate whatever difficulty is there. But when it's within your own family, it's so difficult to do that. And you guys, Neely, you feel part of what your job is, is filling that role of helping them really problem solve. Yeah, I appreciate that you brought that up because, you know, as a lawyer, I spent 25 plus years practicing law with people coming to me and asking for help with a problem, with an issue. And so, you know, that's where I really honed the skill of being able to listen to clients and understand what their objective and goals were. And all of those skills, the advocacy skills, the counselor skills, they transfer perfectly into a role of helping solution solve problems, find solutions for families in the role that I play with CLEAR. And, you know, I want to say one more thing about hope, which is hope is different than wishful thinking. Hope is based on data of a verifiable change process that families can engage in. And that's based on best practices and lived experience that we bring as a team. So we're not asking people to wishfully think that their loved one will get better. We're asking them to engage in a process that's verifiable where they can really start to hook into a hope that their loved one will get better. That's right. Absolutely. And I think part of the magic also of what you guys do and what Doug was just talking about is collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys serve as kind of the center point or the hub of the wheel and spoke and collaborate both with the treatment center with the family, with the therapist, with everyone involved on the team. And you really help that spoke I or that will turn right with ease and not get, and if it does get squeaky, you kind of oil it and put everybody back in place, whether it's the family or whether it's the patient, the identified patient or whomever it is. And I just think that the collaboration that you guys do between treatment provider and family is just priceless. And, and it's so effective in doing that. Doug, I know I wrote myself a little note because I and put a star by it. I wanted to ask you this. I know that you personally are a big mind, body, spirit believer in treatment, right? And you believe in that mind, biopsychosocial, spiritual approach. My understanding is that systemic recovery requires that. 
And I wanted you to kind of explain what that is because I have that, I share that philosophy with you. And I'm wondering if you could help our audience understand that systemic approach. Sure. I'm glad to tackle that. And I'm glad you asked because to me, this is literally what I talk to families about when they call is the fact that it's a four-pronged issue. It's it's biological for sure. You know, some of the latest research, I was talking to Dr. Marvin Seppala, the former chief medical officer at Hazelden the other day, we were in Oregon, spent some time with he and his wife, and we're talking about heritability factors with addiction, you know, and it's looking closer to, you know, the newest data we have is 60 to 65% heritability factors. And that's really big, right? More than half. Statistically, that's just gigantic. But there are also these psychosocial aspects that we all know about that influence, impact, exacerbate substance use disorders, especially trauma. We know that now. We know from the ACEs study, thanks to Kaiser uh, some years ago, and thanks to Van der Kolt's work, we understand now how these things not only relate and interplay, but how they exacerbate and create difficult conditions for people to recover. So you have that biological, psychological, and then the social component is so critical because most often, at least in my recovery, when I was using, my social milieu was lousy at best, (laughs) terrible. And so this idea, especially entering recovery communities, 12-step smart recovery, I'm a big 12-step guy. And frankly, anecdotally, I always just had a felt sense it works but you know, there's nothing like empirical data. And now that we have John Kelly's and Dr. Humphrey's studies out of Harvard, Stanford, these two researchers who've done this comparative analysis and meta-analysis of all these different disparate therapies like MET, CBT, RET, and they put them up against just AA. Find out, guess what, empirically with the largest meta-analysis ever done in the last year or two, finally somebody did this research and guess what? It meets or outperforms all of those other tools. And that's sort of remarkable, right? And that leads me to the spiritual piece. Because I think what's happening there, and again, I don't know all that is, but my instinct is that connection, human connection is the difference. There's also a design for living within 12-step communities. Those steps are actually very cognitive behavioral with a spiritual aspect to them, which asks you to look for something bigger than your own ego. Is Dr. Walt Bird from Happy Texas, the medical director at Serenity Lane, said to me in 1989, he ended up being president of ASAM. He looked at me, he said, first thing he said, I said, I don't buy any of this 12-step stuff, Dr. Bird. I'll go to your treatment center because you've intervened on me. But I have no intention of reading that blue book. I don't believe in God, but I'll do the other counseling part because you're going to brainwash me. He looked at me, he said, boy, you might need some, your brain might need some washing. I didn't think it was funny at the time. But what I learned is that by reading that book and by being involved in good psychotherapy combined with a spiritual component is my ego didn't have to run on everything. You know, I didn't have to run on completely on self-propulsion, which was a huge relief. And I'll tell you, the group for me was the central organizing feature of my recovery for many, many years. And, you know, as time has gone by, I've deepened and widened my meditation and spiritual practices. But I have friends that are about atheists that are farm D's at the University of Washington, one of them. And G.O.D. to him is a group of drunks. And he's yep. there. He's 34 years sober. You know, has a great life. So helping people find something that's bigger than themselves, I think, is a critical aspect of this. So, but again, the biological thing, we get them time and distance, right? Psychologically, we get them to you or a provider like you, and we get them psychotherapy and care and really good mind-body stuff with respect to exercise and moving again. We know how important that is. So nutrition. Nutrition. All of those things combine to create a long-term trajectory. That's right. Uh, an expectation that people will heal. That's right. I couldn't agree more on the spirituality component and the connection and the lack of connection, both with the complex families that you guys work with and the families that my practice works with and so many of the treatment centers around the country that we work with. 
that we see people who just don't have a sense of connection, both either to a family member because they grew up in an affluent family and they were too busy and they were raised by nannies or what have you, or other house staff, or whether it's a lack of spiritual connection, right? Is it's just not there. So I'm really glad that you guys incorporate that. And I'm so glad to, of course you do as part of the 12 step recovery, but I think it's amazing that you're talking about that. And I think it's such an important component to recovery. Neely, I wanted to ask you, you're really involved in the oversight. I tell me if I'm wrong on that word oversight, but really on the oversight of sober living homes and making sure that sober living homes are doing the right thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So in Mississippi, currently, there is no certification or licensure required for someone to open a sober living home. And in that environment, what you see is that the public does not have any way to evaluate or reference whether or not that's the type of quality care that their loved one deserves and needs. And so I've been working with a national organization to try to bring some of those best practices to Mississippi and frankly, to work regionally with some of our other partners. Because what we know is that that recovery happens along a continuum. And for some of us that are in recovery, we need a safe place to go. You guys were just talking about having come out of an environment where maybe it wasn't the healthiest of friend circle for us. So we have to find a new place to put the wheels on our recovery, if you will. And that oftentimes is a place like a sober living home. There's some excellent sober living in Houston and is, you know, certainly also around the United States. And, you know, as providers, we want to provide care, and but we also want to see our clients do well. And oftentimes this one little piece, this sober living is that bridge process where people can go from the protected, supported, therapeutic environment back into their life. So it's a really important venue, I think, for us to be focused on. I think it is too. And please, please, please bring that to Houston or to Texas because it's the same thing. There's no oversight of recovery and sober living homes in the state of Texas. And there are some amazing recovery, both here in Houston, Austin, Dallas, all over the state. And then also there's some really not so great recovery homes that appear on the outside to be nice, that a family really doesn't know what they're looking for. Neely, can you talk just for a second, just briefly, what a family would look for when they're looking at a sober living home and how they would choose the right sober living environment? Sure. Well, of course, you know, I would probably start by saying that when we are making this recommendation to a client or their family, we're working with the therapy team. So we know and understand where they are when they're leaving treatment. And so the recommendation would be based on the individualized continuing care plan. But, you know, some of the things a family might be looking for is whether or not there's supervision in the home. Another thing they might want to know about is whether there's some requirement that the individual be in either in education or working or have some vocation so that they're not just sitting there all day long. You're, you're going to want to know if there's a drug policy, for example. And it's very common for a sober living home to be affiliated with a continuing care plan that includes therapeutic care, individual therapy, intensive outpatient, or a PHP, a partial hospitalization program. So 
It really is dependent on where that person is, but it is often, like I say, that final piece that helps them make a smoother transition back Mm -hmm. into life. Yep, absolutely. So I'd love to know from both of you, what's the highest point of your professional career and what do you feel the, I hate to say the lowest point, but maybe a part of the industry that you've struggled with over your career in this field? Doug, I'll start with you. That's a big question. And so the highlight of my career, you know, I wish I could tell you there was one instance, but what I can tell you is that the thing that juices me, the thing that keeps me going is watching people get recovery. And, you know, that's a rolling, it's a rolling thing. And it's just, we get joy out of this. We recently refreshed our website. And one of the questions that the interviewer asked me is, why do you do this work? And I said, you know, I can't not. It's a vocation. It's a calling. You know, in in vocata in Latin is to to, to hear, to listen. And I don't really think I can do anything else. And so the joy I get is when I get that text and I got a couple of them this week, or I get that phone call. Somebody's got nine years. They've got one year. They've got 90 days. But that substantiated long-term recovery that people get who have had seven treatments or 10 treatments or 17 treatments. And now we've got two years. And not because we did anything magic but because we applied our framework at Clear Consulting, which is long-term engagement and, you know, some critical analysis around monitoring people, some critical analysis around supporting families and helping them get the care they need. Those are the kinds of things that I get excited helping families build these plans. I got a call from an oil and gas family in Dallas this morning. He doesn't even know. She ran errands and got home and I haven't even talked to her about it. But this is a gentleman that's had multiple treatments and is in, in dire need of care. And this family can't imagine anything will ever work. And I know we get that call frequently. It's usually the call we get is we've done this 15 times. We've got your name from so-and-so and what makes you different. Right. And I tell them it's not magic. What makes us different is we stick with you. You know, my great grandparents were ranchers in West Texas and they managed the Pitchfork Ranch. It's a big spread, about 180,000 acres east of Lubbock. And my mother grew up out there and on their gravestone in Louisa, Texas, it says they never left a herd on a dark night. We don't have it on the back of our business cards, but I think we should. <laughs> I think you should too. That is just yeah. perfect. We are 24-7, 365. So the highs I get are even answering the phone at two in the morning and walking somebody through and yeah. getting them to go back to bed and then seeing that person graduate from treatment and that person get a coin in a year. So in terms of the, the low, the lowest thing probably is, you know, we've been fortunate enough not to ever have a client perish on our watch. But we've worked with people who have eventually perished. And, you know, it's such a constant reminder. This is a chronic, progressive, and ultimately a fatal disease if not treated. And so that's always the hardest phone call or letter to get is that, you know, they had X amount of great time. And for whatever reason, you know, they weren't able to complete recovery. But it's, it's extremely rare, thank goodness. I've only had one or two of those in 14 years. But nonetheless, we know that's always a possibility. So that's, to be honest with you, that's the hardest thing. And with respect to the end, that's the personally the hardest thing and the very hardest thing. But with respect to the industry, I think a lot of us have been doing this a long time. And when organizations are successful, often private equity becomes involved. And I understand, look, I'm a business person and I've got a business degree. But I do know that often that will shift an organization's focus. And there's always this margin versus mission dynamic conflict, not completely unhealthy. But I've got to be working with organizations where mission is still beating out margin. So that's something that I have to watch. And it's a commitment we have to our clients is that one of the processes that we engage in when we analyze the best resource for your loved one or your business partner, whomever it might be, is do we know these people? Do we know their minds as well as their hearts? 
do we know that mission will always win out over margin at this organization? So I think that's something that we try to keep our finger on the pulse of. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you on the passion. And you know, when you have the passion that you have inside of you, it doesn't feel like we get up and work in the morning. It feels like we get up and we're just living our life and we're having a great life, helping, having the gift of helping other people. And I also couldn't agree with you more on the venture capital folks that are coming into the industry and offering great sums of money to buy a treatment center and then that treatment center selling and then looking at the bottom line and it just changes. And when you start changing the dynamic of a treatment center and changing the programming and the leading programs because of a dollar, then I think it changes the whole dynamic of treatment. So I agree with you. You're here. Yeah. Neely. All right. So I'm going to restate what I think the question is. Okay. The question was, what is an example of a high that I've experienced in this point in my career and maybe a low? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And I would say that in order to address the low, I would have to go back to a prior career decision. You know, I retired from my first career at 33. Wow. And, and then my second career at 48. So while I still have an active practice law license, I don't practice law except for, you know, family matters. Right. But when I was in that process of making a decision, I had to really ask myself, this is changing my identity. Is this the moment where I learn that I am more than the people I can pick up the phone and call? I am more than the scorekeeping that goes on at work. And when I found that place where I found that I was who I really was, which is a person who has a lot of compassion and a willing desire to help others find recovery, then that's when I had comfort in being able to change over and work for clear and and get involved in direct care with families. So It wasn't exactly a low, but it was a shift, perhaps, in how I wanted to use the gifts that I've been given. You know, when I was in a very public-facing role, it was very isolating. It was hard for anybody to know that you were struggling. And I think that's something that I can identify with in the families that we work with. It's very hard for them, even if they are people who help others philanthropically or otherwise, it can be hard to ask for help for yourself. So completely agree. Yeah. The high side of it is, is that we get to see the miracle happen for individuals every day in what we do. And that is such a blessing. It is inspiring. It is also common for us to get a call from a family, maybe even years. I had a text message this week from a family that I had worked with thanking me for their daughter's recovery. You know, this is a daughter that they felt like they had lost for over a decade. And she now has all of her family back with her. She is able to show up and be present for her children. And she has a great life ahead. And to be able to be the firsthand witness to that process is a a real honor. And that's a, a real high for me to be involved in the work that I do with CLEAR. Absolutely. That always makes my heart feel warm is just to hear that from families and from the patients that graduate and move on and continue working with you guys 
but they leave us, they continue working with you. And so we get to hear the stories as the success continues. And I love that about the work that you do. And I think that that both of you are two of the most authentic people that we get the pleasure of working with. And I want everyone that's watching or listening to understand how to reach clear consultants. So Doug, what's the best way for the audience to reach out to you guys? You know, listen, we are so small. Our phone number is the best way to reach us or email. I'm yeah. D. I'm just really simple. I'm D Lions at clearconsulting.com, but we spell clear funny C L E R E. And we do not have time for that story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my phone number is 503-490-2273 and Neely's is 601-720-8734. So you you know, that's really the best way to reach us yeah. because we are that small. We do have an 800 number, but I'm not going to bother. It goes to our central headquarters in Minneapolis. It's on the website. It is. And our website, if you Google Clear Consulting, spelled C-L-E-R-E, you will see us. I have not seen the new website. Is it launched? It is. Okay. I'm going to go look at it this afternoon. That's right. fantastic. So Clear Consulting. We love your new website too. It's thank you so much. We did a lot of work. Robin Mooney worked so hard on that. So thank you guys. And listen, again, I cannot tell everyone how amazing it is, whether you're Cirque Lodge, an amazing treatment program up in Utah or any other program in this country or here at J Flowers. We all love working with you guys and you're a bright star and a shining star and a shining couple in our industry. And thank you for doing the work that you do at Clear. And Sam's not here, but tell him hello. You will. He's on an airplane right now. (laughs) Is he? Yeah, of course. Y'all are always flying everywhere. And again, thank you guys for what you do. It's wonderful to see you. And I know we'll be talking to you soon. Terrific. Thank Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Take good care of you guys. Bye. And I'd like to remind everyone watching or listening to us that there are numerous platforms to find our podcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Please share this episode on social media or with someone that you think it could help. Absolutely. And we remind you also that a clear diagnosis is key to the most effective treatment possible. Yes, it is. See you next week. Thanks again, Robin. Thank you.